Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. Today is super special for Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are recording on location today in the historic C.O. Bigelow Apothecary in New York City's West Village. And we've taken over a nice corner of this 200-year-old store for our podcast series. So special thanks to CEO Bigelow, CEO Ian Ginsberg, and the head of beauty, Emily, for collaborating with us today. We hope this is the first of many. Um, we all know that every good brand has a story, but at Where Brains Meet Beauty, we're interested in the people behind the brand. Today, we are joined by Laurent Safre, president and CEO of Pierre Fraub USA. Hello, Judy. It's nice to see you, Laurent. Thank you, likewise. I'm thrilled to be here with you in this iconic uh, store, CEO Bigelow. And uh, thank you so much for having me. For yeah. Having me. Um, you know, we've known each other professionally for a really long time. I think Absolutely. maybe almost six years at this point. Um, my agency's done work for some of the PR fraud brands, um, Aven, Glidetone, Renee Furter. Um, but what's so great about the podcast and sitting together is that I'm going to get to know you beyond the work, right? And um, that's what's Absolutely. so cool about this opportunity. So I'm really excited to get to know you better. Likewise. Um, I w will let you know that I used the Chloron dry shampoo this morning. I was going to compliment your hair. I mean, that's perfect. <laughs> what a great segue. <laughs> I, um, I was on, uh, I got home very late last night from a late flight. And this morning it was all about the Chloron dry okay, shampoo, perfect. which is I'm sure a number one seller for you. It is actually. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about um, Pierre Frog, because it might not be a corporation a lot of people are familiar with? Of course. First of all, I want to apologize for my thick French accent. I will try to speak slowly. Um, well, of course, Pierre Fabre is a, is, a, is a great company that was founded by Mr. Pierre Fabre, a pharmacist, um, in the early 60s. And uh, it was, uh, at that time, a small pharmacy in the southwest of France. And Mr. Pierre Fabre developed the first drug for patients suffering from uh, venous, uh, venous insufficiencies. And um, he created a... Uh, Uh, Pierre Fab Laboratories uh, in order to improve the quality of life of uh, his patients in the pharmacy and then it became a fantastic success story with a company which is today a 2.5 billion dollar company worldwide and uh, the beauty of this company is that um, today this company is not only privately owned but uh, owned by a non-profit organization called the Foundation Pierre Fabre. Mr. Pierre Fabre unfortunately passed away a few years ago but he gave all his company and his belongings to a non-profit organization, oh, the Foundation Pierre Fab. So, so interesting. at the end of the day, the, the company, the Pierre Fab Laboratories, uh, uh, you know, are funding a, a non-profit organization, which is in France quite uh, unique. And um, where do profits go? So the profit of the company are funding the, the foundation, and the foundation has four main actions. The first one is to improve the quality of life of patients suffering from sickle cell disease. Oh my goodness! It's uh -huh. a very painful disease, and by uh, you know by training the healthcare professionals to take care of this disease, we try to improve the quality of life. We are also improving the traceability of drugs by uh, uh, fostering uh, and trying to, 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 to fight against uh, counterfeit drugs in some uh, countries, especially uh -huh. sub-Saharan and Asian countries. So that's the second big action that we are we are, we are doing. We are also developing drugs for um, uh, tropical dermatology uh, conditions in some countries, specifically in Haiti, and uh, that's uh, that's really the, the, the you know, what we try to we try to to develop. And we are also uh, educating healthcare professionals, specifically pharmacists, in some countries. Uh, for example, we uh, we developed a university for pharmacists in, in Vietnam. Uh, 
few years ago. So that's that's where the benefits of the company are going, the dividends of the company. And of course, the company uh, is also reinvesting uh, directly in R&D to develop new drugs and new dermocosmetic products. It's so fascinating. Um, I love these um, entrepreneurial success stories, right? It takes one person to do one thing. And then years later, it can become something magnificently enormous, right? Absolutely. So, Mr. Pierre Fab started a pharmacy just like Bigelow, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, Bigelow was started 200 years ago as a pharmacy, and so um, Mr. Fab did that in France, and then look at what it's become. It's so fascinating, right? It only takes one person to do. It takes one person to start, but then like how things evolve is just incredible. And the way those leaders are, you know, um, building their companies is amazing because it's like a family at the end, and so uh, you know, it's. Uh, Today it's resonating very much in this crazy world. I think it's important that we, we know why we work at Pierfa when we know the end point of promoting our products, but not only we are helping you know to, to, to get a better world today uh, through our products and through our uh, guidelines that uh, our mentor, Mr. Pierfa, gave us. Yeah, it's so cool. So um, what I want to talk about, because we don't we haven't known each other beyond professionally, is I, I want to understand what it's like to um, grow up in another country, start building a family there, and then one day just say, okay, let's move to the U.S. Or maybe Canada was your first stop. Yeah, so it's been actually a long journey for me. Uh, I, I, I was raised and born in France, as you can hear, with my accent. Um, I was lucky enough to begin my career uh, for the PFA group in, uh, in, in the USA, actually, in Los Angeles, uh, for the, a brand that you may know, Physicians Formula. Oh, uh, sure. Oh, wait, Pierre Fab owned Physicians yeah, Formula. Yeah, we used to own the brand Physicians Formula. Not anymore, but we used to, to own this brand. And, uh, Did Pierre Fab launch that brand, or they acquired No, it? no, they acquired the, <laughs> the brand in the US. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I began my career in Los Angeles uh, with, uh, that was, you know, in, in a subsidiary that was dealing with Physicians Formula and uh, launching uh, another brand called Ducre at the time, uh, Adarma, sorry, at the right. time. So you were living in France, you went to school in France, and then you got a job offer to go to Los Angeles? Absolutely. So I actually, I, I, I'm a pharmacist as well. Oh, as, that's as so Ian cool. And, uh -huh. Farm, and uh, I also um, had a master in uh, marketing and, and management in Paris. And to be very precise, my first job was with L'Oréal. Uh, I was very fun, uh, you know, I was very fan of, uh, fan of, um, Photography and uh, I, I actually did an expo exposition on a, a New York in black and white. Oh my goodness! And HR guy from L'Oréal uh, saw me, saw this exposition, and saw me uh, at my business school and uh, offered me, uh, you know, um, uh, an opportunity to join Lancome, the Lancome brand. So that was my first experience. Okay, wait. Let's back up. You go to school in France. You're a photography student as well. You created, you created your work, and you showed it in New York. I wasn't a, a photography uh, student. I was like, it was just my passion. So. Oh. I did, I did an exposition on, 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 on New York and uh, that was just like a, like a little uh, workshop and right. uh, you know it was like a, an opportunity for, for me to meet with a HR guy from, from L'Oréal and, uh, and they were you know they were apparently pleased with the work and uh, they said uh, maybe you have some talent in terms of creativity as a pharmacist wow this is special and, uh, and they said why don't you try to, to join us with, with Lancome and it was a fantastic uh, fantastic uh, opportunity for me to join a luxury brand and a fantastic company as well, L'Oréal. And that was in New York, that job? He was, he was in France. Oh, in France. He was in France. Okay, so this never happens where somebody's just, you know, doing their passion, yeah. right? 
the artistic passion and somebody from a major corporation in an industry that's uh, something that's fascinating to that person comes up and says oh let's give you a job like this Absolutely. never happens that was ever. great and it's no it's like you're, you're connecting the dots you know by between your passion and it's a fantastic opportunity for me to join the beauty industry through photography which was uh, unexpected yeah are you still in touch with that person who gave you the job uh, the HR person I, uh, yes I'm still in touch with her yes, and, this is a good uh, friend yes it is, it is absolutely, absolutely okay so you got that job um, working on Lancome and then I had an opportunity through my business school again to um, to do what we call at that time uh, VIE is a speci specific word and, uh, which means it's a specific mission when you're a, a French uh, uh, student you have to do something uh, abroad uh, for uh, developing the business mm -hmm. outside France and then I had this opportunity to join the PFA group uh, in Los Angeles which was a fantastic uh, you know, mission for me and uh, I not only had this great opportunity to join the US market but also I met my wife in Los Angeles. Oh cool. She was a product manager for Physicians Formula so that's a, it's, a, it's a small world and believe it or not my wife uh, is French as well and she was living uh, very nearby where I lived in France so it's, it's like a very That's very, so cool. You took her all funny. the way to California to meet her. See. <laughs> okay, so um, what was the job at Physicians Formula? What were, what were you tasked with? I was actually um, helping the, the company to launch a French brand in the in the US called Aderma. It's an oat uh, milk based brand, and uh, we we actually uh, tried at that time to duplicate the business model we had in France, which is product distributed in a pharmacy mm -hmm. and being recommended by dermatologists or by physicians. And we tried to copy and paste this business model, which was extremely successful in Europe, in the USA. And guess what? It didn't work. It was a big failure. And uh, I began actually my career with, with, a, you know, with, a, with a failure, which is, uh, I think, a chance, uh, because I learned so much about what not to do in a, in a very different landscape and very different environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to duplicate something that works in some specific countries in other countries can be very very dangerous for the business so we, we, right. we learn a lot and we, we understood that uh, the in the US uh, things were different you know the, the advice at the point of sales is very differently managed especially in the drugstore mm -hmm. environment uh, which is not the case here at COB Group actually which is uh, one of my favorite store in the world which is a uh, you know uh, still uh, has some great advice and a fantastic environment so people can feel you know uh, pampered and uh, they, they they have the they have the perfect uh, advice from from pharmacists and from beauty advisors and we also um, have a big uh, recommendation by physicians in europe with dermo cosmetic for dermo cosmetic products which not really happens in the us so the business model didn't work here and uh, it was uh, it was uh, my first lesson that uh, listen to the market and don't uh, don't try to duplicate what you learn at school uh, as a, as a, you know as a, in a business as a business school. So let's talk about making mistakes because I think it's awesome actually that you that this did happen right. It wasn't your mistake alone right. It was a, co a corporate level error also. But uh, I feel like people at big corporations now are really terrified to make mistakes. You know they really think that their job is on the line. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm obviously um, generalizing, but you know, I get this sense, and you know, I am looking in, right? I'm an entrepreneur looking into these situations. Uh, we make mistakes all the time, and we just fix them, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that—that's not scary at Base Beauty, but um, you know, in the corporate world, I get the sense that a lot of people are terrified to make mistakes. They think their job is on the line, and therefore everything is just sort of like status quo, right? We don't try new mm -hmm. things. We don't work really hard to rock the boat. Um, 
as someone who's made you know a great mistake, um, do you notice that around you? I think, I think it's uh, it's about um, it's about the management and how the management value people who are failing, but how they rebound and how they learn from the failure. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's uh, it's very important that people understand that uh, if you don't take risk, you may not succeed and. Uh, if you take a look at all, all the biopics from the, you know, the bio from the big leaders, even Steve Jobs, you know, they, they fail so many times. And uh, what I like in the U.S. particularly is that people uh, value uh, when you fail and when you understand why you failed and what the lessons you learn from that. I think it's key. And I think um, if you ask a lot of people that are very successful, they all had their own failures during their, their, their journey. Sometimes they talk about it, sometimes they don't, but I think it's very important to uh, to identify it as a failure and make it a success afterwards. Yes, well, for our listeners, I've been laid off and fired plenty of times. And That's why you're so successful <laughs> today. <laughs> Congratulations. And you think it matters so much in the moment, right? Absolutely. Oh, it, yeah. it feels like the biggest it's thing. It's tough, but you know, you learn from it. Yes, and um, I want everyone to know that it, it, it almost doesn't matter in the end. Everything works out. So let's talk about, um, you know, the failure happened. Did you then go back to France yeah. to work in France? I went back to France for two years. I was the assistant of the Americas director, uh, so from, from Canada to Argentina, uh, for the Dermo Cosmetic division of the company. We have two divisions, Dermo Cosmetic and Drug divisions. So um, I was uh, the assistant of the director, and after two years, uh, I, uh, I had a fantastic opportunity. Mr. Pierre Fabre said, why don't we send uh, uh, Mr. Safre to, to the freezer, which was actually Canada. Uh, wait, it was um, Mr. Pierre Fabre himself who asked you to go to Canada? Absolutely. At that time, you know, the company was still, uh, the size of the company was still uh, a size where you were able to talk to the CEO mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you know, I had this opportunity, and, uh, and he was, uh, you know, he, he gave me this, uh, this opportunity. I had 48 hours to take my decision so wow. I, I, I you know we took decisions with my wife to, to go in Canada and to to, to, to set up the, the subsidiary over there from uh, almost from scratch mm -hmm. I mean, the subsidiary had an, an almost few few months so it was a, a discovery of a new landscape a new environment but guess what I didn't make the same mistake so I learned from the mm -hmm. from the ground I listened to the people I went and uh, spent a lot of time on the field and we launched the brand Otama Lavelle in Canada first and it's been a fantastic success we became after only a few years the number one subsidiary of all the Americas wow. and we were able to um, build um, actually with the L'Oréal group it was funny the Dermo cosmetic uh, category with all the big retailers in Canada such as Jean Coutu Shoppers of Mart and, uh, and, uh, and other big, uh, big retailers so we, we had a fantastic success and uh, I stayed there eight years. Uh, my so you were married in for, before you went, and your wife went with you to Canada. I actually get married a little after, but I oh, was okay. I was still my wife uh -huh. at the time. And um, and we we had two kids in Canada, so my two boys were born and raised in Canada. Oh, interesting, interesting. And uh, we became after eight winters a Canadian citizens. So they give you the citizenship after eight winters uh -huh. if you survive. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. Yes, we did. So I'm very proud to be Canadian today. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a fantastic country. Uh, it's really been a, a tremendous experience. And of course, we we launched other brands, and the subsidiary today is a, is a big subsidiary. So we made a great uh, we made a great uh, I, I would say um, success in Canada, and uh, and I met also fantastic people. The team that we built over there is a. Is still a fantastic team, and I'm very proud of that. So, let's um, on a personal level, was your um, wife realizing that she was going to be on a multi-decade journey, you know, through <laughs> traveling the world with you? I don't know if she, if she signed for that when she got married, <laughs> but uh, no, I think she's uh, she she's also coming from the cosmetic industry, and uh, 
you know, she, she, she loves discovering new environment and uh, definitely she, she's my, my best asset and she always gives me uh, the best advice. So I'm very lucky to have her on my side. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly plenty of people I talk to who um, a spouse stays where they were from, right? Like the family doesn't journey together. Um, and I think, you, you know, obviously you have to, this is a family decision, right? Absolutely. But you know, it's, 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 it's very consistent with uh, our personal life. I mean, we are, I'm, I'm a big fan of sailing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sailor. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, you know, every summer we go with my family on my boat in France and uh, we spend three weeks and we, we we cross, I won't say the ocean, but the Mediterranean Sea, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, you know, we're having a lot of, uh, lot of fun, and it's, I think it's a state of mind. You know, no matter what the country is, no matter what the challenge is, if you're, if you're willing to learn and to, to face the elements, it could be the wind, it could be the, the, the sea, the waves, it could be the, the, you know, the, the business environment, but if you're willing to learn from that and to, and to experience that as a family, as a team, I think it's... Uh, I think it's not a question of where you want to go. It's a question of why. Do we, you know, what's what's the purpose of the, of the of the mission? That's so cool that you're all sailors. So your kids are expert sailors. Absolutely. At this point? I don't know if they are. I mean, they are they are doing great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are 13 and 11, so oh, mm-hmm. they are doing great. And um, everyone enjoys that adventure, or do you get like some pushback from the kids? Not yet. Maybe one day, but not yet. The boat is still uh, big enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's going to be too small one day, but. You know, I think it's a good way also for us to disconnect from all this uh, craziness of uh, social media, internet, and everything. So right. it's a good way for three weeks to to be amazed by a sunrise and sunset uh, that we don't really see in New York with all the buildings. <laughs> it's, right. a, it's a fantastic opportunity. So when you're on the boat, um, does everybody really put their devices away? Absolutely. That's just a... There's no Wi-Fi? I'm the only, I'm the only one cheating with uh, you know, the cellular connection, checking uh-huh. my emails, but uh, I'm trying to hide in my boat mm-hmm. once a day. Otherwise, we, we try, to, we try to, to limit that and to enjoy the, you know, the time being and... Um, I'd say it's a, it's, a, it's a great journey. It's hard to do. I, I mean, it's hard. I, I have. I feel like my body. I don't know if it's like my mind to my hand says, "Well, check the email. Check the email." Right. And when I go it's to true. check it and there's nothing there, I'm disappointed. I'm like, "Why isn't anybody need me?" Right. It's just like crazy chemical dependency. I think in it's my true. body on the device. So yeah. it must be really hard to like leave the country, get on the boat, and really unwind. Yeah. It's- it's hard at the beginning. Uh, yeah. I'm honest with you, but you know, it's, it's like it's like rebooting your computer. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean we don't like it when it's back. You know, we, we enjoy. You know, so of course, we my, my kids were born with the technology. They, you know, they are they are completely. Uh, I mean, they love using it mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And if you do it, you know, on, on a nice, on a good way, it's it's fun. It's fantastic. They get connect, They are, still have some connections with their grandparents. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, on a daily basis, which is fantastic with FaceTime, and I think it's great. Also, if you take it on a right, on a good way, it's it's fantastic opportunity for kids to to learn a lot, and uh, so that's that's great. But sometimes you have to reboot and just to to remind them that uh, life is not always uh, through Facebook or Instagram. Life is also uh, connecting with people uh, on, on a real life and uh, and and having uh, you know spending some time with people. Not saying happy birthday to your to your father on Facebook, but spending uh, <laughs> <laughs> some time with him. That's funny. So, as a C- at the CEO level, when you're on vacation, do you have to actually like do you work every day a little bit, or like is there an opportunity to stop working? I, you know, I I, I, I I can't disconnect personally. I think I, I'm, it's like my my team is like my family, so I still need to have some news and see how things are going. Not because I think uh, people cannot work without me, but because you know sometimes you need. To to, you need to, to anticipate some uh, some 
some events and uh, and you can also have some crises that you have right. to manage and I, I could you know I, I would be I would feel very bad if people were you know in a, in a bad situation and me uh, having fun on my on my sailboat without doing anything for them right. so that's why I need to be connected at least once a day mm-hmm. it's very short and limited and uh, and then I'm, I feel relaxed and I feel uh, okay to enjoy uh, my moment I've been running my business for 10 years and only this past spring um, did I take a true legit vacation from work and I was with my family it was amazing Um, it was so joyful because um, I I think I finally have the team built that Mm -hmm. we need to be able to like support the decision making in my absence Um, and my team also knows that I trust them you know like God forbid there was a crisis with a client and they go nuts and they you know leave the agency you know in a huff or whatever. Um, I've, I've communicated clearly in my team that we do everything we possibly can to make the work great and the experience mm-hmm. great. And then if it just isn't great for them, it just isn't great for them, right? And this is just the way it is, right? That not because I'm not there to answer the email. Um, so yeah, I took that first vacation and I loved it. I was so happy because <laughs> I usually always have been connected a little bit, right? Okay. Like I've been in Disney World in front of a ride, you know, texting <laughs> my team and answering calls and um, I was really ready for a break. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine that like at the CEO level, it almost feels like the entrepreneur experience, right? You feel so tied tied to these ideas. Absolutely. I think being an entrepreneur, is you're even more, you're even more you know, tied to your to your business it's a, it's a question sometimes of uh, being able to to take uh, decisions quickly and uh, congratulations for your applications <laughs> yeah, that's great there'll be many more i hope um, so let's let's talk a little bit more about um, growing up as a french family in the us um, well, when we joined, so, when, so just after Canada, I went, I went back to France for four years and I became the America's director for, for the cosmetic divisions. And after four years, I had the opportunity to, to join the U.S. subsidiary for the cosmetic and then the drug division. So it was the first time for me that I was able to handle uh, drug division for the PFA group. So I'm, I'm in charge of uh, um, different brands from uh, René Furcher, which is dealing with hair salon stylists and, uh, and C.O.B. Golo, of course to anti-cancer drugs uh, dealing with uh, hospitals for mm-hmm. uh, lung cancer. So it's like a very, very wide spectrum of, of product and uh, I would say interactions between a stylist and an oncologist. You can yes. see it's not the same type of uh, interactions and I think it is what makes my, my job absolutely amazing. And um, it's, been a, it's been quite a fantastic uh, adventure so far. So it's been six years now that I've been in, a, in the US. I still have my French accent, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm enjoying it very much. And uh, it's uh, again, we're having a fantastic success in the US today. Uh, again, listening to the market and making sure that we adapt our business model to the, to the US market. Right. Um, when I explain to people that are not familiar with your company what Pierre Fraud is, I think of it as like a French J&J, like a French Johnson & Johnson, right? There's, there's consumer-focused product, there's you know, medical-related product. Um, you're servicing these businesses in different ways, unique ways. It's, it's a, yeah, even though we're smaller, for sure, mm-hmm. but it's you're right. I mean, we have a, we have a very wide spectrum of uh, broad spectrum of, of products, and I think JJ is a, is a good analogy, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and you can grow to be that big. That's fine. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think it would be interesting for a lot of our listeners, because many of them are probably in your shoes mm-hmm. or considering being in your shoes, you know, leaving wherever they're from to move, move whether it's from the U.S. to another country or another country to the U.S., um, what advice would you give somebody who's considering, uh, you know, really picking up their homestead and moving to another country for uh, a career experience? 
I would say do it no matter what. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to learn and to, to be much more open-minded. For my kids, it's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, they, you know, they, they embrace the world today. They, they have 51 nationality at their school, which is absolutely oh, wow, amazing. That's so, cool. so you can imagine you know, the, the, they, they have their, their eyes completely open and they are, they are always eager to learn more from other people, which is what I want to transmit. You know, it's not about being having a, a top score at, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in different um, in physics or math, but I, I want them to, to, to be good, good people later. Great. And Citizens I think this of is the world. It's, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity, and New York is particularly uh, uh, open to that. What do you love most about New York? The melting pot. I think I, I like New York because it's it's uh, it's uh, it's the world in one city, mm -hmm. and you can you know depending on where you, where you go, you can you can feel that you're in China, you can feel that you're uh, I don't know in, in Latin America, and 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 just one block away. And I think this is uh, and people get along very well in this in this crazy city. It's also a crazy city, but I love it. I love the craziness. I love the energy, the vibe, and uh, yeah, definitely New York is a is a fantastic experience. So you've been up here, Fab, for, is it over 12 years? Almost 20 years Oh now. my God, 20 years. Um, that's a really long time. <laughs> I get old now. <laughs> so um, what would you say keeps you there? I think what really, first of all, uh, what, what, um, how, the, how the company, I think it's the why, the why behind the company. Hmm. What we do every day is to fund a non-profit organization. So the, the, the end point is, is very noble to me. And I think I don't find too many companies like that uh, today. You have many companies that have a foundation, which is great, but they are not owned by a foundation. That makes a big difference. Um, what I like at Pierre Fab as well is the fact that um, behind the fact that we are privately owned, I think the company really um, has uh, a true vision about the future of cosmetics and I think we, we Mr. Pierre Fab was a visionary because what, what is developing today in terms of new technology is completely resonating with what the market is evolving mm -hmm. maybe we are a little bit in advance like as an example we are developing sterile cosmetics cosmetics which are completely sterile and uh, that what means, does that mean? it means that you have absolutely no preservative in the formula uh -huh. and even no, no preservative like so you can say no preservative in a product right. if you don't have a preservative which is listed on a specific preservative list. Right, like a chart. Huh. Absolutely, like a chart. But if you don't have, but you, if it's not sterile, you have to have like a preservative like, otherwise your formula will not be, not have a longer shelf life. But if you sterilize a product and if, if you're able to give a specific way of protecting the formula from any kind of bacterial, bacterial contamination, then your product is absolutely safe and requires a very minimum number of ingredients. And that's the future. I think less is more. And I think that you can see that more and more people are exposed to allergens, are exposed, they, they get more allergies. And I think the, the, the future of cosmetics really will be to limit the number of ingredients and maybe to be giving uh, sterile formulas to, to the patient. So I think we have a, we have a, Develop something very innovative, and uh, this kind of you know this kind of innovation that not necessarily have a, a very short-term return on investment mm -hmm. in terms of financial standpoint. I think is is, is building the future. And this is how Mr. Pierre Farmer bet always bet on the future. It's so interesting when you're talking about the, the very few ingredients, the sterols can be no preservatives. 
I, I see it as an innovation now, but it's also a throwback to the way I'm sure he compounded his products, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, there was no reason to put a lot of junk in there, That's right? true, that's true. Um, so it seems really in line with the, the idea of going back to the more simple traditions around like just focusing on key ingredients, yeah. um, not adding a lot of fillers mm-hmm. and things to mask smell and all that stuff, and just to be focusing on um, the value of the ingredient. Um, so it's like a, you know, it's like a backwards forwards thing. I think that's true. That's true. That's so interesting. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Of course, it was um, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to my French accent again. And uh, Judy, it's always a pleasure working with you. And it's the first time we had this opportunity to discuss about something else and business. Yeah, I so didn't know great. you were a pharmacist. I think that's so cool. Um, yeah, I just learned something new when you get to sit down and talk about something other than deadlines and schedules and budgets. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Laurent. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, please follow us on Instagram at Beast Beauty Creative Agency. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.